Good morning. Um, if you are in catechism, you can be dismissed. We're going to get into the Word. We're going to have some more worship. We're going to take an offering later. Let you thank the Lord for all His many blessings. Open your uh, Bibles to Mark. We're going to uh, continue to look at this uh, passage in Mark where Jesus talks about hearing the Word. We've read through the parable several times, so we're not going to read the whole thing. But I want to look at um, the end of the parable in Mark 4, starting in verse 21. Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing which will not be, excuse me, nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Here in this uh, this text that we just read, this is really an application of the parable that Jesus just gave us. We call the sower and the seed, as I said last week. It really should be called the parable of the four soils. Because it's not about the sower, it's not about the seed, it's about the condition of the soil. Because as we see, the condition of the soil determines whether or not the seed that is sown will actually grow. So Jesus gives us this parable of the four soils, and then he says, Therefore, take heed how you hear. In other words, here's the application of the parable. The seed will grow only in what he calls the good ground, so therefore take heed how you hear. In other words, your hearing reflects the condition of your heart or your soil, if you will. So, uh, we want to be good soil, amen? Um, so th- that raises the question, therefore, how, how can we be the good soil or how can we hear rightly? A couple weeks ago, I was at lunch, and uh, uh, an acquaintance, I won't call him a friend, but a guy guy that I know who's a pastor or was a pastor, I found out he actually left the ministry, came by my table and said, oh, I know you, you're so-and-so. And And I said, yeah, I don't know you, who are you? And uh, uh, he said, you mind if I sit down? Actually, as he sat down, um, (laughs) it's like, well, I'll put my book away that I was reading, and uh, yeah, I guess I'll talk to you. So he invited himself to lunch, and um, we began to chat. And uh, as we were talking, you know, when you talk to guys who've been in ministry many years, there's a lot of there's a lot of subtext uh, things that are said, you know. Um, but I learned that he he had he quit the pastorate, which was kind of sad to me because I think he's a really great guy. Um, not to retire, but I think he just got tired. Not retired, he just got tired. Um, but we were talking about the Word. And he said, what God, what's God showing you? And I said, well, I, I said, the Lord is just really impressing upon me the need to really just be in the Word a lot. I mean, just saturate, to saturate my mind in His Word. 
And, and um, he said, you know, I mean, he agreed, of course. How could you argue with that, right? So he agrees, and then he says, you know, the Pharisees knew the word really good. He says, the Pharisees knew the word better than I do. So, but they didn't, although they knew the word, they didn't know the word. Really what he's saying is what this parable is about. They heard, but they didn't hear, right? So his question to me was, so how can I avoid being like them? How can I know the word and hear it and not know the word the way they do, where they knew it, but they didn't really know it? And that led into a very, uh, I think, a profitable discussion. And that's basically what I want to share with you today, because... Jesus says if, if there's going to be fruit in our lives, we have to be the good soil. So then the, that raises the question, okay, number one, which soil am I? But assuming I'm the good soil, how do I continue to cultivate that? How do I produce fruit? What must I do? And I want to mention um, several things. But first I want to read a, read a quote by Tozer. Is that Okay. Y'all know Tozer? It's going to be a little long, but it's good. So really going to get two sermons. You get his and you get mine. It's an article he wrote years ago. It's called, We Must Hear Worthily. He says, It is carelessly assumed by most persons that when a preacher announces a message of truth and his words fall upon the ears of his listeners that there has been a bona fide act of hearing on their part. They are assumed to have been instructed because they have listened to the word of God. But it does not follow. It would be truly, if we would be truly instructed, we must be worthy to hear. Or more accurately, we must hear in a worthy manner. In listening to a sermon, reading a good book, or even reading the Bible itself, Much may be lost to us because we are not worthy to hear the truth. That is, we have not met the moral terms required to hear the truth rightly. He says, the text from Isaiah, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void, does not give support to the notion that God's truth is effective wherever and whenever it is preached. The lament of the Old Testament prophets was that they cried aloud unto Israel, and their words were not regarded. Quoting Proverbs, Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded, but you have said it not, all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. Our Lord's parable of the sower and the seed is another proof that it is possible to hear truth without profit. Paul turned from the Jews with the quotation, Hearing you shall hear. And shall not understand. And he began his ministry to the Gentiles. Before there can be a true inward understanding of divine truth, there must be a moral preparation. Our Lord made it plain in several passages in the Gospels. Quote, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and prudent, but have revealed them unto babes. The Gospel of John is filled with teaching that there must be a spiritual readying within the soul before it can be, there can be a real understanding of God's truth. This is summed up in John 7, 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine. 
When considering a pastor, the average church asks, in effect, is this man worthy to speak to us? I suppose such a question is valid, but there is another one more in keeping with the circumstances. It is, are we worthy to hear this man? An attitude of humility on the part of the hearers would secure for them a great deal more light from whatever sized candle the Lord might be pleased to send them. When a man or a woman becomes worthy to hear, God sometimes speaks to them through very unworthy media. Peter, as an example, was brought to repentance by the crowing of a rooster. Of course, the rooster was innocent of the part he was playing. (laughs) But Peter's Lord had set things up for him so that the rooster's crow could break the heart of his backslidden apostle and send him out in a flood of penitential tears. Augustine was brought to repentance by seeing a friend killed by lightning. Nicholas Herman was converted through seeing a tree stripped of its leaves in winter. Spurgeon became a Christian after hearing a humble Methodist class leader exhort a congregation. Moody was led into a clear anointing of the Spirit through the testimony of a simple-hearted elderly lady of his acquaintance. All these examples teach the same thing. God will speak to the hearts of those who prepare themselves to hear. And conversely, those who do not so prepare themselves will hear nothing, even though the Word of God is falling upon their outer ears every Sunday. Good hearers are important as good preachers. We need more of both. Amen? So how then can we be a worthy hearer, as Tozer put it? Well, let me mention just a few things. Number one, we must be born again. This goes without saying, although it needs to be said because uh, it is possible to hear the word and not hear it because we do not know Christ and we have not entered into his kingdom. Jesus said that a man must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Paul said that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit because they are foolishness to him. And so it is possible for the unregenerate to sit in church week after week. We have churches all over our land which are filled with unregenerate people. They do not know Christ. They are not born of his Spirit. And yet they hear the word, but they do not hear the word. The first prerequisite is that you must be born again. The Spirit of God must be in you. You must be quickened by God's Spirit because the Spirit has been given to us to be our instructor. He's the one who enlightens our minds. He, uh, he moves our hearts. He quickens our affections. He empowers our will. He does all of this, this inner work in us so that we are able to truly hear the Word of God. When I was born again, it was very obvious to me because all of a sudden the word had, all this light would just flow out of the Bible. Before I read it, it was like, hmm, that's interesting, but I'm not sure I really understand it. And then when, it, when the Spirit of God came into my heart, it was like, you know, you see in those movies where a kid opens a book and then you know, the floodlight comes out, you know. That's what happened. The floodlight came out. Came out. It just came out. All, the light of God was shining out because now I was able to see. The light was always there. The word's always true, but the problem was I was not able to receive the word. I was not in the right spiritual or moral condition to take it in. So we know that in order to be good ground, the foundation of that is that we must be regenerated by God's Holy Spirit. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, then this is the first thing you must do. 
It is the foundation of all else. And if you don't know if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then I would exhort you to plead with God to give you His Holy Spirit. To plead with Him until you are sure you have the Holy Spirit. Because uh, as the old saying is, uh, the old question is this, is if God took His Spirit away from you, would you know it? And if not, then you have to ask yourselves, do I really have His Spirit? Because without the Spirit, you cannot know the things of God. Of course, you, this is, in one sense, something you don't do. You can't regenerate yourself. But you, you can ask God to save you. You can come to Jesus Christ through the Spirit's work in your life. Because Jesus says that he is drawing all men to himself. So even this morning, Jesus Christ is drawing you to himself. So come to him in genuine faith. And this is the beginning of the, the renovation of your heart so that your soul could be good soil. So to the Christian then, who is regenerated, what then, what must we do to have a good heart? Uh, first, we must soften our hearts through repentance. Soften our hearts through repentance. You know, the, the, the first ground Jesus talked about was the hard ground, right? So or so is the seed falls on the pathway. Well, the pathway is hard because it's constantly trodden on, so the dirt's packed down. It's solid. There's, there's no cracks there, so the seed can't fall in and then bear fruit. So it's hard. So the heart has to be soft if it's going to receive the seed of God's Word. And one of the ways the heart is softened is through repentance. Um, in 1 John 1, if you want to turn there, Matter of fact, I'd like you to turn there if you don't mind. First John one. John doesn't use the word repentance here, but he uses the word confession, and the two are inseparable. He says in First John one verse five, "This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light, and in him, in him, excuse me, is no darkness at all." If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, what are we doing? We're lying, right? And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Um, now, it's understood, of course, that in our day and age, it's not popular to talk about sin, right? Even in, even in the church. Uh, we'd rather talk about success, prosperity, um, happiness, achieving your goals, being, you know, whatever. We don't talk about sin, we don't talk about holiness much anymore. Uh, this, to me, is a tragedy. Um, 
Now, we have to understand this. The, the, the Bible says that if you are a Christian, a real Christian, you have been forgiven your sins. It says you have been justified. Being justified means there's no condemnation for you. No con- God is not condemning you. Yeah, don't you want to just say hallelujah? Yeah. No, con- no condemnation for the, for the Christian. There's no, there's no question about this. It's not like, you know, well, maybe one day I'm condemned and the next day I'm not. No, you, you are, if you are in Christ, you, there is no condemnation for you. Absolutely none. So, why in the world does the, do we see texts like this that talk about sin if I'm already uh, uh, justified? Because sin breaks our fellowship with God. It doesn't alter our standing. When my kids do something stupid, of course, they rarely do that. <clears throat> but uh, it might affect our relationship, but it doesn't affect their standing in my family. They're still my child. And if you're a child of God, you're a child of God. Now, you might be a wayward child. You might be a backslidden child. You might be a stupid child. You might be a rebellious child. But if you're a child, you're a child. You're in his family, and your standing is secure in Jesus Christ. But the quality of your relationship and the quality of your life is determined by holiness. It's determined by holiness. And so the, the sin is, the, the thing that they're saying about sin is when I talk about sin, it's not to make people feel guilty. And if you're feeling guilty when I talk about sin, then you know what? Maybe there's a sin you need to deal with. But that's not why I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it because sin is a sickness that will destroy your relationship with God. Okay, If you had a disease and your doctor knew it and he said, you know what, because I really like this person, I'm just not going to tell them. I don't want them to be offended. I'm just not going to tell them. Yeah, they're going to die in a couple of months, but hey, they'll be happy. Now, would, would that be a, right? Would that be appropriate? Of course not. Of course not. So why does the doctor inform a patient that he has an illness? So the patient can be cured. And so the patient can be healthy. You see, there's a difference between being justified and secure in our standing and being healthy in our spirituality. They are not the same thing. Now, spiritual health is rooted in, based upon, the security we have in Jesus Christ. There's no question about that. But our security in Jesus Christ doesn't mean it's okay if we sin. That's to abuse the grace of God. Amen? So, so the reason the New Testament, even though it asserts that we're secure in Jesus, the reason it talks about sin is because of this very reason. If we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God. This is the goal of our redemption. This is the goal of our creation. God made us so that we would know him. That's his, this is like the whole point. Okay? But if we walk in darkness, we're not walking in fellowship. We are not fulfilling our true purpose for being created and being redeemed, which is to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So sin then hinders our 
relationship with God. It, it, it hinders our fellowship. Not to mention all the destruction it does in other relationships. Anybody that's been around the block a few times as a Christian has seen the devastation that sin can cause in people's lives. Any amens? Tragic, tragic. So, the New Testament talks about sin not to condemn the believer, not to make the believer feel guilty, but rather to instruct the believer so the believer might avoid sin and walk in holiness, which is really another way of saying to walk in spiritual health and fullness. Health and fullness is what God wants for us. So we must learn to confess our sins. Now here's the thing. Justification doesn't mean confession is unnecessary. It means confession is now possible. What do I mean? What I mean is this, because we know God accepts us, apart from our works, because we know this, we know that we can come to him and be honest. We know that now when I come to him and I say, you know what, God, I really blew it. We know that he will still say, I love you. So justification doesn't eliminate confession. It makes confession possible. Because now we can come to the light without fear of condemnation. You see? If you're not sure you're justified, you won't come to the light. You'll draw back from the light. But if you know that Christ has paid for your sins, if you know forgiveness awaits you, if you know you stand in God's favor, then you will come to the light in spite of your sin and failings. So, we must learn to confess our sins. Not because this earns salvation, but rather because it, it leaves the communication between God and I open. Um, Doug Wilson, in one of his marriage books, talks about um, the marriage relationship, and he refers to a guy, he uses the example of a guy who walks around his house throwing his socks and underwear on the floor. And maybe you can throw your socks on the floor for a day or two, but if you do it for three days and four days, five days, six days, a week, two, three, four, a month, a year, guess what? Starts looking like one of my kids' rooms. <laughs> At some point, you can't walk through the house because there's so much junk on the floor. you got to pick up your junk, Right? you got to pick up your junk. Well, that's how our relationships are. That's how our relationship with God is. we got to pick up the junk. And so, when we, when we let, when we, we might commit a little sin, say, oh, it's not a big deal, so I don't even mess with that. We do that one, and we do that one. And before you know it, you have all of this clutter, and all of a sudden, you're not really having a relationship with God anymore. Because the fellowship is broken. And so, confession is a cleansing a time where we confess, we acknowledge, and what does this text say? It says, if we confess our sins, verse 9, look at this. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Notice it doesn't say he's merciful and kind. He's faithful and just. Why? He's faithful and just because the forgiveness is based upon the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It's based upon what Jesus has already done for you. It's based upon the fact that you are already a justified child. <clears throat> And so he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, um, confession 
is, is like, you know, after you cut the grass and you're all hot and sweaty, you're like, Ugh, and you take that nice refreshing shower and like, oh, I feel so good. That's what confession is. Confession is not something we ought to fear. It's something we ought to relish. Because if you understand how to confess, if you understand you stand in favor when you come to God and acknowledge your failings, then, can, then that time of confession, confessing is a time of refreshing. It's a time of receiving cleansing in your soul. And that softens the heart for the word. Secondly, we need to deepen the heart through humility. Um, James 4. James 4. This is one of the toughest texts in the Bible, right here. James 4.1. But here it is in the Bible. I'm not making it up. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that warn your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and do not obtain. You fight in war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. And then he calls, calls them adulterers or adulteresses. Do you not know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. <clears throat> Remember, Jesus said the third soil had, had the weeds, and it was because of the, the cares and the pleasures of this world or this age. Verse 5, Or do you think that the Scripture uh, speaks in vain? The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously or to envy. Verse 6, but he, God, gives more grace. More grace than what? More grace than the, the, the human tendency to envy and war and to covet. In other words, God's grace is sufficient so that we need not live as a friend of the world. Is really what he's saying. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So James is calling us to an attitude of uh, humility before God. This is an attitude of, of course, it, it goes hand in hand with what I've already said about confession, because confession requires acknowledgement of one's sins and one's failings. And to genuinely acknowledge that will produce humility. It's inevitable. But we also produce, uh, experience humility when we set ourselves in God's presence and meditate on who he is. We truly meditate on who God is. Um, it was Calvin that said in his famous Institutes that in order to know oneself, one must know God. And it's true. The more that we truly see God, the more that we truly see ourselves. Uh, look at Isaiah 66 for a moment. We'll actually go to 57 first. We'll look at 57, then we'll go to 66 in Isaiah. 
in verse 15 of chapter 57 in Isaiah. It says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Chapter 66, verse 1. The Lord says, the word says, excuse me, Thus saith the Lord, or Jehovah, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, on this person, I will look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Verse 5, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. So God says that he, although he is high and lifted up, he is actually humble. Remember when the Lord came? What did he say? I'm meek and lowly of heart, right? Come unto me and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. And yet he's the high and exalted one. And so he fellowships with those of a similar heart, those who have a humble and a contrite heart. The very first beatitude was what? Do you remember in Matthew, the very first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are the humble. We must learn to place ourselves in God's presence and meditate on his glory and his majesty and his holiness. And as we do these things, we'll begin to see ourselves in an appropriate light. And this will bring us to a place of humility and acknowledging that he is truly God and truly exalted. Thirdly, we must uh, cultivate good soil by separation. What do I mean by separation? Um, 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says this to the Corinthians, and we all know that that church was had some struggles, right? 2 Corinthians 6, he says this, Verse 16, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. He's talking to you, the church. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God or in the reverence of God. Uh, uh, Paul warns us in Galatians that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Um, So when I think of the, the soil in the parable that has the weeds, you know, those weeds need to be cleared out. They need to be cleared out. And... Uh, you can hear the word weekly, you can read, even read your Bible daily, but if the weeds are not being pulled out, the word will not profit you. 
Jesus says the word is going to be choked by the sin that's in, in our lives. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter 2, if you want to turn there real quickly, 1 Peter 2, he says this. He says, he says we've been born again by uh, not of uh, 123. We've been born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Verse 24, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside, notice this, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. See? Laying aside these things, desire the milk of the word. Moody uh, put it very simply. Either the the, the word will keep you from the Bible. I mean, excuse me. Sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. When you're in, if you're permitting the weeds to grow, if you're permitting sin to grow in your life, it will choke the word. You won't probably even desire to read the word. But if you are reading the word, it will not be fruitful in your life because of the sin. So what is what does Peter say? He says, lay these things aside and desire the pure milk of the word. These two things go together. Here's a question for all of us. Do I desire the word of God? Do I really desire? Do I have a hunger for it? Now be honest with God. And if not, Why? If not, why? I fear to say that one of the reasons we don't desire the word is because we're permitting the weeds to grow. Our hearts are entangled in the world. We're lusting after other things. We're permitting sin uh, in different areas of our life. And it's choking out not only the word, it chokes out even the desire for the word. So we need to, uh, as Hannah said, break up the fallow ground of our hearts. We need to cultivate the soil of our hearts. This requires self-examination. We need to we need to have a conversation with ourselves. As David said, I commune with my own heart on my bed. He said, we need to examine ourselves and say what is the condition of my soil? Am I fruitful? Do I desire the word? Do I desire prayer? Do I desire worship? Do I desire to have fellowship with the Lord? Or am I just going through the motions? What is the condition of my heart? And if I don't desire the things of God as I ought, if I don't desire them as a newborn babe, which means eagerly, then why? You need to ask yourself, why? What, what's hindering my spiritual growth? What's, what's quenching the spirit in my life? What, what, is, what is it that, that is, that, that's going on in me? So that the word is not fruitful as it ought to be. And as you do that, and as you examine yourself, and as you allow the Holy Spirit to examine you, then you can confess the things he shows you. See, then you can humble yourselves before him as he shows you these, these things in your heart. So we have to, we have to take care of the soil. Any of you like to garden? Any gardeners here? Raise your hand if you like to garden. Yeah, we kind of tried that, but it didn't work out too well. 
Um, you know better than I do. You have to you have to cultivate the soil. You have to if you see weeds growing, you have to pull the weeds out. You know better than I do, right? But it's the same way with our hearts. We have to tend. We have to tend to our hearts. It's not enough just read your Bible. You got to tend to your heart, because your heart's the soil that the Bible is going into. So, this requires, uh, as we spend time in the Word, it requires this this meditation not only on the truth of Scripture, but but meditating uh, on the condition of our hearts and asking God to show us the soil and to show us things that might be hindering the Word. This takes time. This takes solitude with the Lord. Um, and it really is a discipline that we must practice if we're going to bear fruit from the Word. If we don't do this, I can assure you, listening to sermons every week will not profit you. It, it just won't. You've got to take the time to let the Holy Spirit uh, examine you, or should I say, examine yourself through the Holy Spirit's aid, so that the soil of your heart can be uh, um, broken up. So that the word can then sink into it and then bear fruit in your lives. Lastly, I'm sorry I went too long. Lastly, the last thing I want to mention is we need to have a yielding heart. John seven seventeen, Jesus said, He that is willing to do will know the doctrine. Um, we must be willing to do whatever God shows us. Or our, our resistance to do will hinder the light. We will even unwittingly, not even knowing we're doing it, we will be, we will be turning away from the light in our hearts. There must be a candor of heart. There must be an, an honesty of heart uh, as we deal with the Lord and with the Word, and that if God shows us something, we'll say, yes, Lord, and we will yield to what He shows us. Um, let's stand together. Lord, I thank You for uh, allowing me to share today. I pray that uh, for each one of us, that through Your work and through our cooperation with Your work, that we would be good soil. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to um, walk with you in light, confessing our sins, humbling ourselves before you. I pray that we would um, take heed to guard our hearts from entanglements with the world, that we would separate our hearts from the love of the world. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be willing to yield to all that you show us. Uh, we want to bear fruit, Lord, um, because we want to honor you. Not because we want to be successful or happy or whatever. We want to honor you. We want you to be pleased with our lives. And I thank you that you've provided everything that we need. We have your word. We have your spirit. We have your church. We have everything that we need. And I pray that we would truly um, take advantage of the means that you have given us that we might grow and be fruitful. 
Jesus, receive all the honor and glory for our lives, we pray in your name. Amen.